matchup. 40, pushes the man, 35, looking at him go. 30, 25, he's at the 20, gets the block. He's gone. Head, pass, touchdown. Welcome to Any Given Monday. I'm Hayden Adoni, and joining me as always, Duncan Song. Welcome, Dunk. Thanks, Nads. Look, it's exciting to be back. We've obviously had a little bit of a break since the Raiders relocation roundtable. God, that's a mouthful. Um, but we've got to get back into it. We've got the draft getting closer and closer, mate. So we've got plenty to get through before there. It's going to be a jam-packed episode. We're going to be focusing on the defensive side of the ball today. Uh, but before we get in there, let's get into the social media. What have you got for us this week, Nads? What's your love? All right, mate. So Marquette King. So speaking of the Raiders roundtable relocation, so we've got another bit of uh, Raider love on social media this week. So Marquette King was asked on Twitter for advice regarding um, a guy's son um, had just started to punt. He wanted some, some advice from King. And King's response, and I quote, stay away from arm wrestling competitions. <laughs> now, for those who don't know, King was in Vegas um, a few days ago, and he was at a at a casino doing an event for an arm wrestling competition. There were um, a few, um, few gambling things going on there, given that it's a casino, and the NFL has decided to fine all the players, including King. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we're going to discuss it a bit later on in the show. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's move to the hate. All right. So 95.7 The Fanatic. It's a, it's a Philadelphia radio station that's powered by ESPN. And on Twitter, they tweeted a poll, and I quote, Would you trade Carson Wentz for Aaron Rodgers today? Now, Dunk, off the top of your head, how many people do you reckon would say, yep, yeah, I'll trade Wentz for Rodgers? Um, are we talking, sorry, are we talking Wentz now versus Rodgers now exactly as they are? As they are now, so w- would you do the trade today? So if if you were a general manager, oh, yeah, 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 would yeah. would you trade like and you're Philly? Would you trade Carson Wentz to get Aaron Rodgers? Yes. Yeah. How many people like if you did a poll on that for a couple thousand people? How many do you reckon would say that they would keep Wentz? Uh, maybe maybe. Oh, would keep Wentz. Uh, let's keep Wentz. Let's say like twenty five percent. Yeah, 48% of people said that they would keep Wentz and that they wouldn't trade for Aaron Rodgers. 48? 48%. So nearly half. Yeah, nearly half. So my my theory is that either these 48% who said no, that they'd rather keep Wentz than trade for the best quarterback in football, they're either really stupid Philadelphia Eagles fans who are convinced that Wentz is like the uh, the next Peyton Manning, or... They're Packers fans in disguise. <laughs> it's got to be one of the two, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. All right, so that's a nice little short and sweet roundup of social media this week. Obviously, we're still in the NFL offseason, but there's still a little bit going on. So we're going to have a quick look around the league and see some little tidbits that have you know, sort of been going on in the last week or two. So, Nads, I want to start with Tony Romo. What what can you tell me? What's going on? Obviously, he's retired, but there's there's been a whole lot of discussion still about the guy. 
Well, let, let's just go back a bit there, Dunk, because he actually hasn't used the dreaded R, R word. He's retired. He hasn't retired. He's he has, retired. For all intents and purposes, he's retired, but he's left that little that little bit um, that R word out of out of the conversation, and it really gives him the opportunity, I guess, to come back if if a, um, a team for whatever reason says, "Look, we want you." That being said, I think he's done. Um, you, you look, you look at it. He could have gone to the the Broncos. He could have gone to the Texans. The reality is that he chose to go and be the number one CBS um, color commentator with Jim Nance. And I think an, another interesting thing that has to be talked about regarding this is that he was released by the Cowboys. So if he does want to come back, Dallas don't have the rights to him, so he can go to any team anytime. And my understanding as well is that he's got a clause in his CBS contract that allows him to exit the booth and come out if the if the scenario so so chooses. But like, I, I'm not sure that he would he's ever going to do it. In your opinion, if you're a, a general manager and your star quarterback has gone down, let's say halfway through training camp, do you bring Romo in? I think you certainly have to look at it. I mean, the guy's been a very, very good player and, like, statistically stacks up as one of the best quarterbacks that Dallas Cowboys have ever had. And when you look at the company that he's in there, that's saying something. Um, I think he'd be silly not to. I mean, I'm still saying he's retired, but as you say, he hasn't used the word. Um, he's been released by the Cowboys and he's got the clause in his CBS contract. So there's still the potential for him to come back. I just want to take a little bit of a step backwards here, Nads. The most exciting part about all of this for me is that the fact that he's teamed up with Jim Nance, and not because I think they're going to make a great team, even though they might. It's because he's replacing Phil Sims. Now, I don't, I don't know <laughs> I if you, you know this. this up. I don't know if you know this, but I have a personal vendetta against Phil Sims as a commentator. I am the type of guy who, every year religiously, I will buy Madden, even though it's essentially the same game as it was the year before. I will still buy it because that's the sort of guy I am. You have to. Madden 25, Madden. which I think was released in 2013. I could be wrong, but it was about Yeah, they're out. Yep. yep. I played that game for about five minutes and then didn't touch it again, purely because Phil Sims was commentating on it. I get enough of Phil Sims in real life watching football. I don't need him on my Madden games as well. So the biggest winner out of all of this for me is the fact that I don't have to listen to Phil Sims on CBS anymore. I think that's a bit of a slam dunk in itself, but um, it's just the warm up, the, mate. We got more coming. <laughs> the reality of it is that I just you didn't you weren't too big a fan of his philosophy, hey? Oh, do not get me started <laughs> on philosophy, mate. I still remember being in high school with you and you were having a go at him oh, for that. <laughs> no, we need to move on because I'll be here for a while, for sure. So let's talk about Romo's Hall of Fame prospects. I personally think it's crazy that he could even be considered, but what are your thoughts there? Look, it's a tough one for me to see an argument that he should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, the biggest knock is that the guy, he doesn't have a ring. Okay, so all of a sudden, your prospects go straight down if you don't have that ring. Um, look, it's, it's a nice story. He's, he's come out of a smaller school, kind of undrafted guy. Nobody really knew anything about him. 
you got to remember this is back in the day when when scouting knowledge wasn't as widespread you didn't have as much coverage you had to send your scouts out to actually watch games you couldn't just get film as easily so if he's coming from a smaller school like Romo did you've actually got to have people there to actually know you know how good the guy is so it's a nice story that he's come as an undrafted guy made it to the top done a really good job over his career but he never won the ring, and for me, that's really the sealer of, you know, when you're that really good player, whether you're Hall of Fame worthy is whether you have that ring. Yeah, I agree. He needs a ring, and I mean, there are quite a few quarterbacks in the in the pipeline, I guess you could say, that have got rings and still aren't in the Hall of Fame. And like you said, it's, it's really just a matter of it was a great story. He was an undrafted quarterback that has come from like nothing and on on pretty much the most popular or the most media publicized team in the league so he's getting as much exposure as you can possibly get and i mean remember all those years when like people were more interested about what he was doing off the field i remember the whole stuff when he was going out with uh, jessica simpson yeah and Yep. You know, and they were they were talking about where he would eat for eat for lunch on <laughs> on Saturday before the game. I mean, who cares? Yeah. You know, like it, it, it's irrelevant. But hey, it got him in the media. It kept his profile high, and look, he's now, I guess, using his media likeness to 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 further his career. And good on him. But like, I think he, he's not Hall of Fame worthy to me. He might have been a great player, but. You, you think about it. When was he ever like a top five quarterback in the league for more than, let's say, two or three years? Short answer is he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't. So how can you say that a guy who was very good, very good, not the best, but very good for two or three years, worthy of the Hall of Fame? That's, that's asinine to me. Uh, I um, think that the Hall of Fame really is for the elite of the elite, and Romo isn't there. No, I, I agree. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute. Um, do you think it makes a difference the fact that he's essentially been in direct competition with you guys like Brady and Peyton for his whole career? Or does it make it easier to determine whether he should be a Hall of Famer or not because you've been able to compare them at the same time? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I never really looked at it like that. Um uh, I think, really, you have to look at it, and the best players in the league, they're going to be the best no matter what era they play in. They'll find a way. They will find a way, and that's why the best players in the league last, like, or the Hall of Fame players, I should say, they are great over a long period of time because the NFL, it more or less, an average career is about three, three and a half years. So... You see a Hall of Fame career, it's usually between 10 and 15 years. Yeah. So they've gone through the life cycles of multiple eras, so to speak, and they've still been on top throughout that period. So Romo, he he was only good for two or three years. He was never the top guy over a sustained period like Brady, like Rogers, like Peyton Manning, like Big Ben, um, like Brett Favre before him. So... There are just and, and even you could even argue that Eli Manning is more worthy of the Hall of Fame than Tony Romo. Yeah, I think there's uh, merit I, to that. I think there's a lot of merit there. And I, I think I think when it comes down to it, Romo, however, has given himself the best opportunity to get in the Hall of Fame. 
And I'll, I'll say that now, not because of what he's done on the field. I'm, I'm talking about because he's retired now. So in a few years' time, we're going to get um, Tom Brady. We're going to get Big Ben. You know, we're going to have a few more quarterbacks that are going to retire very, very quickly um, in the space of like a year or two. And that's going to mean that they're all going to be eligible for the Hall of Fame five years from that date. Well, Romo right now, he's going to have maybe uh, two or three years ahead of them that he's eligible. Mm, that's because I, I guarantee once um, Tom Brady and uh, Manning and a few other guys are, are um, eligible for the Hall of Fame, if they're not in, Romo's going to have to wait. And yep. then because Romo's still waiting, you've got some great quarterback, like great young quarterbacks that are going to they're going to shine in this league. I, I really do think that we're on the verge of a real uh, a dynasty where the quarterback um, there's going to be like uh, it wouldn't surprise me between ten and twelve quarterbacks um, over the next next ten years who stay in their one their one team and are, are a real franchise changer. Mm. Um, and you never know how many of those are going to end up in the Hall of Fame. So I really do think it's now or never for Romo. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on there. Um, I I think for me overall, he's probably not quite done enough. Um, having said that, if he did make it, I wouldn't be wholly against it is how I would describe it. I think if you've got like guys like T.O., who's arguably one of the top, five wide receivers in the game and he can't get into the Hall of Fame, I don't see how a very good but not great quarterback like Tony Romo deserves to get in the Hall of Fame. Nice well, that, story. That nice was story. a different Should... issue, though. The, the reason T.O. didn't get in is the character and the way that he treated people. Romo doesn't have that issue. So I think I, I see your point there. And if you're talking about pure talent, T.O. is obviously far and away ahead of Romo relative to their respective positions. But obviously, Romo's great character guy on and off the field. So in that respect, he's not going to have any issues. But at the end of the day, I don't think he's going to make the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, okay. Yeah, fair call there. Um, I really think at the end of the day that Romo should be sticking to making Disney movies or something. Um, because <laughs> Commentating yeah, golf. Hey, he'd, be, he'd do a good Masters playoff, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, he would. He would. All right, let's move on, Nads. Uh, the one other major tidbit we've got. Adam Schefter has come out with a report that apparently the Browns are considering Mitchell Trubisky at pick number one ahead of Miles Garrett. What are your thoughts? My initial thought was that it would be the most Cleveland Brown thing to do. Yeah. It's just something that... It, it's, it's something that just makes you shake your head and you be like, this is so Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And I can just see it now, like the the crying Jordan memes on Twitter <laughs> that will happen, like when Trubisky goes up there, um, number one, and you just see all the fans with the crying Jordan memes that are coming out. I, I can already see it, but now that I've had a little bit of time to digest it, um, the way that I, I'd look at it, I think P- Pete Prisco on on Twitter, he's a, he's an analyst on CBS, and he he sort of, I thought he hit the nail on the head. So he more or less said. Um, if the Browns scouting department and the front office, if they have the two players rated similarly, similarly being Garrett and um, Trubisky, you have to take the quarterback. So 
if I think let, let's take the names out of it let's take the names Garrett and Trubisky out of it and let's say for instance they're just player A and player B one's a pass rusher one's a quarterback um, if if they're rated similarly and you've got them at the top of the draft you have to take the quarterback it's really that simple so I mean, uh, yes but I'll put a caveat on it it depends who you have at quarterback if you, okay, if you've they got, don't have a quarterback. Yeah, I know. In this case, I can see the argument. If you've got, I'm going to use the Colts as an example. If I've got Andrew Luck under center, I'm not using the number one overall pick on a quarterback. Of course not, but the Browns don't have no, a quarterback. No, they don't. They've got, they've got no one. Now, in in the context of the Browns, though, I I understand what you're saying and, and what Pete Prisco was, was saying as well. And I tend to agree with that sentiment. In in an, um, in a vacuum, if you've got a quarterback and a pass rusher and they're both exactly the same grade and you need both positions, you take the quarterback every day of the week. The problem I've got with this, and I said it when we went through the quarterback preview for, our, for, for the draft, none of the guys in this quarterback class are a first-round talent. None of them. I, I agree. Um, but you're looking a little bit too far again. You say, um, We have to assume, if, if this report is correct, and I have no reason to doubt Schefter, I mean, he's the best in the business. Um, if, if they've got Trubisky rated similarly to Garrett, that means that they rate him as a first-round pick. That means no. they wouldn't be reaching for him. It means they need to fire their scouting staff, is oh, what it means. Oh, com- Completely. Completely, it means that they've got major issues in the way that they they are analysing things. Um, but I, I understand the rationale behind their decision making if they chose Trubisky. I, I'd understand it. I wouldn't agree with it. I think that their evaluation would be beyond um, beyond um, off colour. But um, the process certainly makes sense. No, I I think I'd agree with that there. Um... Again, I personally wouldn't, but if if they do have them rated the same, you have to take the quarterback. It's as simple as that. Um, but I think it's a reach, given ads that the Browns have the twelfth pick, and they have a mountain of other picks. I think I said in a in a previous episode they've got something like eleven picks in this draft, and then another eleven next year. Given the picks that they have. Should they trade up to number two and take both? Okay, so you you really have to you have to look at the price that it's going to take to get from twelve to two. That being said, if if you think that both are franchise changes, look at what's happened with the Raiders. They get Khalil Mack and they get Derek Carr in the same draft, and they've gone from being a basket case to being having a franchise quarterback and the best defensive player in football, arguably. So. I can, I can certainly see the merit in trading up for them if you think that both are good enough. So Cleveland have the picks, like you said. So what it means is that if they, if it turns out that one of these players is a bust and that, that they've wasted the picks trading up, well, they're still going to have more or less a full draft of picks, so seven picks or so, to, um, to add to their team. So I don't, I don't think it's going to um, really affect them too badly if they decide to trade up. Um, look, I, I can certainly see the merits in it. I think it's going to come down to what the 49ers would want them to pay. I, th- I have a feeling that given the 49ers have a new regime, um, I could certainly see John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan asking for the world from Cleveland. 
And in that case, I would be seeing red flags. In that instance, I'd probably look to trade down. Trade yeah. down out of... I'd be trading down out of 12 even, going further and stockpiling a few more picks. Like Paul D. Podesta said um, in the Monday morning quarterback, he had an interview with Peter King, I think it was last week. He just said, you can never have enough picks. You can, and you can always stockpile picks. So you can always trade a pick out for this, this year, for instance. You can trade a third rounder out this year and you can get a second rounder next year. You can, you can always be looking to the future when it comes to your draft picks. Oh, for sure. And I'm a huge advocate of that strategy. Um, yeah, I personally think it would be ridiculous them to trade up to two, even if they have both of them as franchise changes. Again, I'll put the caveat, I don't think any of the quarterbacks are good enough for a first-round draft pick. But if they think they do, I still think it's silly for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm not 100% sold that the 49ers are going to take a quarterback at number two and then between number two and number 12 there's only like one or no i'm going to say just one more team that might actually draft a quarterback so yeah the jets so if you're confident that the 49ers aren't going to take him you're sort of asking yourself are the jets going to take him even then i think that's kind of an iffy proposition so the the chances are he's going to be there at 12 anyway um that but being again. said, oh, I just want to pardon the interruption, but that being said, we see so many trades on draft day. So oh, yeah, yeah. To, to say that, okay, um, the Jets aren't going to take him, therefore he should be available at 12, I, I, I'd have quite a bit of trepidation there because we know it only takes one team to fall in love with the player and they move heaven and earth to get them. So it's fair cool. um, I, I think we're looking at Cle- um, Cleveland moving up to two simply because it they have to, it. They, yeah, it guarantees it and they have the ammo to do it. They're, one, they're in a really unique position where they have so many picks that they could do this and it's not going to hurt them in the long term in terms of being able to stockpile talent because they've already got so many picks to begin with. No, that's entirely correct. All right. I think that kind of wraps up that discussion. But since we're on the topic of the draft, let's dive into some more draft talk, mate. Let's let's get into these defensive players. All right, Duncan, I know you've been preparing all week for this. It's time for our preview of the draft. We're covering the defensive side of the ball this week. So let's start off with the corners. Who have you got in your top five? So just just quickly before we get to the top five, Nads, I just want to make the point. This draft is insanely deep at corner. It's it's the deepest position in the draft. I said that running backs are really deep. Corners are even deeper. So if you need cornerback talent this year, you're in luck. Um, let's, let's just leave it at that. There are a lot of guys that could have fitted into my top five, but obviously I've had to na- narrow it down. So... We'll start at number five and work my way up. Um, so number five, I've got Quincy Wilson. He's a junior out of Florida. A 6'1", 211 pounds, and runs a 4'5", 440. Um, he's kind of different from the rest of the guys I've got on my top five list. And the reason for that is that he's a big, strong corner, big physical guy. He's really good in press coverage, and he's got a violent and powerful use of his hands, which comes with this size. Um, but to go with that, he's also got elite ball skills um, and great play recognition. He's the kind of guy that you sort of... He's, he's really good in those big matchup type um, possession wide receivers. Not so much your downfield kind of speed guys. 
But if you've got a big-bodied wide receiver that you've got to match up on, Quincy Wilson's your guy. So if you've noticed for your team that you've got a particular deficiency in that area, Quincy Wilson's the sort of guy you want to target. Um, the other things that I love about him, he's a real competitor. He's got that swagger, that confidence that all of the best corners, the best defensive guys in general, really, they all have it. Um, and he's got it in spades as well. But because of his ball skills and his anticipation, he can also play in zone coverage as well as man. So he's got all of that going for him. Um, in terms of uh, negatives, obviously when you've got a, a bigger guy, so he's 6'11", sorry, 6'1", 6'11", Jesus, he's a giant. 6'1", yeah. 211 pounds, obviously he sacrifices a little bit of speed there. Um, and the size as well means that he's not quite as fluid through his hips. Um uh, you know, in and out of uh, changes direction and that sort of thing. I'd be interested to see if he transitions into more of a safety at the next level. Um, his size kind of suits that a little bit more than corner. Um, having said that, he, he's still plenty good enough to play corner. Um, so I sort of see him as kind of a, a late first round sort of guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he slips into the second round purely because of the de- the depth of top end talent in this draft class, um, but he's kind of that late first round type guy. No, for sure, you've summed it up really well. I think it's interesting you've got him ahead of Tease Tabor, who was the other uh, the other Florida corner this season. Um, Tabor was I th- I want to say he's like the number twelve overall player in the draft. Um, based on Pro Football Focus's rankings. And I know that that certainly um, isn't a consensus pick. Table is more of a, a late first, early second round pick. But um, yeah, it's interesting. You've got Wilson ahead of him. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. I mean, going into the combine, I kind of had Table ahead of Quincy Wilson. Um, but Table's combine was kind of crappy, really. He ran a 4.6240. So Quincy Wilson's faster than him, he's bigger than him. Um, I don't know. They're, they're kind of six to one, half a dozen the other. I've, I've got them roughly the same grade. But there's a whole bunch of corners in this draft that are, you know, roughly the same grade. So there's not a lot between them. If, if you preferred Tabor over him, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, as I said, did have him above Quincy Wilson before the combine, but I knocked him down a little bit after the combine. No, for sure. It certainly seems like it's a bit of a crapshoot um, picking corners oh. this year, except it's a bit of a crapshoot where you're, you're kind of always going to throw a seven. Yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah, you, you know, I, I saw on Twitter earlier today, I, I don't, honestly, I don't, don't remember who it was, but it, it was a guy that I respect on Twitter, A very, uh, it would have been a well-renowned um, NFL analyst, and he said that he spoke to a long-time scout about the draft, specifically the corners, and the scout said that he had 22 um, corners who were either a first or a second round draft like draft grade yep. this year, which is just phenomenal. It is. It's it's insane. And I would I'd believe that as well. I would genuinely it's, believe it. It's crazy. It, this has got to be the deepest corner class in years, and it's it's great because I mean. Um, it's about time that we saw some um, stronger defense in a league that is so dominated by the the quarterbacks throwing the football. 100% agree. 100% agree. All right, should I move on to number four? Yeah, definitely. Please do. All right, number four is Marlon Humphreys, a redshirt sophomore out of Alabama. 
Um, ran a 4-4-140. He's 6 foot, 197 pounds. 125 inch broad jump and a 6.75 three cone. Let's get the numbers out of the way early. Humphrey's the kind of guy who some analysts have him as their top corner. Um, he floats all over people's top fives. I've got him at four. I think he's got the perfect combination of that size, speed, toughness ratio. So he's got he's a big enough guy, but he still runs a 4440. Um, he's got great hands and speed to turn, which makes him really good out of press coverage. So he, he's, he's right in the receiver's pace, gets his hands on them, and if they get past, he's got the speed to go and match on those vertical routes. Um, but he's also great in zone where he can react and get downhill. Um, he's also a very aggressive run defender, which I think is an undervalued trait for corners. If you've got corners that can fly off the edge and make tackles on, on big-bodied running backs, I think that's a huge tick. Um, he's an extremely competitive guy, which again, as I talked about with Quincy Wilson, it's one of those attributes you're really looking for. And a bit that stood out to me, in 2016, he had three forced fumbles. So he's a guy that's quite adept at being able to get his hand there and rip the ball out um, as well. In terms of question marks, I've got a few issues over his ball skills, and that seems to be the general consensus. He struggles with that deep ball down the field, um, just locating it. He often gets into situations where he's in the good, like in the right position in coverage, but he just can't locate the ball, can't make the play, and so he loses a lot of 50-50s. The problem you have there is that in the league we've got at the moment, if he's on the field, NFL quarterbacks are just going to take shot after shot after shot at him, which means as a defensive coordinator, you've got to adjust what you're doing to lend him a bit of help um, to stop that from happening. And then, of course, you get weaknesses elsewhere. So that's the biggest question mark. It's also something that's probably the hardest to fix. Um, so there's a few issues there. The only other real knock I've, I've got on him is that he gets sucked into play fakes a little bit too easily. But obviously, uh, the, the ball skills and being able to locate the ball are the biggest concerns I've got for him. Yeah, it's a big red flag that I have on him, especially just the fact that he he's really struggles locating the football. And being a Raider fan, I, I've just gone through the DJ Hayden Hayden era um, of corners. So he, Hayden spent four years in Oakland, um, and he he never could turn to the football. No. He had so many times where he was in the right position, was so close to making the play, but he wouldn't turn his head. And then all of a sudden, you see the yellow flag come out, Mm-hmm. Pass interference on the defense, number 25, and it, it happened too often. It, it seemed like um, it would happen weekly. And you can't have a corner that's going to make like make bonehead plays and give up huge plays um, against you. Not in the passing league of the NFL these days. It just can't happen. No, it, so, it really can't. Particularly when you think about the fact that Humphrey's from Alabama. So the front seven that he's had... Putting pressure on the quarterback. It's as good as you get. Yeah, you're not going to get any better. It's it's only going to get worse. So yeah, We're going to discuss a little bit about the front seven that Alabama's got later on um, in our preview today. So let's go to number three. He was a four-year starter at LSU. He can, seems like he can play all over the park um, on defense in the in the secondary. Tredavious White. Yeah, Tredavious White. Uh, as you said, four-year starter. He's a senior at LSU. Uh, he's 5'11", 192 pounds with a 44740. Um, he is your sort of prototypical cover guy. He has 
just elite coverage skills. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. Doesn't matter. He can play in man. He's got you know that fluid hips and good footwork to be able to play man. But he's also got the versatility uh, to play off man, to play press, to play zone, whatever sort of system you want to throw him in. He's capable of doing it. Um, he's also a great special teams player. Contributed a lot in the return game, both as a returner and also as a gunner, which is interesting. Um, and he's got really great play recognition skills, which ties into his ability to play in the zone as well as man. Um, the the concerns I've got about him, is size is the big one. So at 192 pounds, 5'11", he's the smallest corner in my top five. Uh, and that can lead to concerns if he's up against some bigger bodied wide receivers. He's got a tendency to get boxed out. Um, He's not a natural ball hawk, so he does have reasonable play recognition and anticipation, but that ball skills really honing in on the ball, not quite there. And of course, you know, when, when somebody's that slightly smaller size, there's always question marks about their tackling, and Tredavious White's no exception. His tackling isn't the best, and he lacks that physicality to really step up and stop uh, big running backs coming through at him as well. Um, and a little bit... Uh, it's probably nitpicking a little bit here, but I'm a little bit concerned with his deep speed. I mean, for a smaller guy, you expect him to be a little bit faster, but he's not. I think I think um, if we look at look at White, his best position would have to be the slot. I think he'd make a it, great slot. Yeah. Yeah, he's just got the fluid hips, um, and and he's really going to be able to do that like that change of direction quite comfortably, which is exactly what you need in a slot corner. And you know, it might sound a little bit crazy. Oh, why are you drafting a first round pick on a slot corner? Well. The reality these days is that there's about 70% of the the game um, where teams are in the sub package, which is, it means that there's going to be an extra DB on the field. So uh, I, I don't really see why you, you wouldn't, why you wouldn't look at drafting him if, if that's, that's who you want to go with, because you're going to have like a nickel corner on the field far more often than not in today's league. 100% agree. And I mean, it just gives... His his flexibility just gives you as a defensive coordinator so many options. If you have to bounce him outside, you can bounce him outside. You can put him in the slot. You can do all sorts of things. And so I think that versatility really shouldn't be under undervalued. Yeah, he's, he's certainly... I think he's your prototypical slot corner at the moment. That being said, it won't surprise me over the next five years or so where we see... Um, the kind of like the safety turn slot corner guy. So yeah. you see the um, the Tyron Matthews, and I think I think we're going to see um, like Buddha Baker, especially um, this year. I think someone like them, they're going to become the the prototypical slot corner. But right now, um, everything about White screams slot corner, and he should be should be there for oh, a number of years in the league at the very least. I think so. Moving on, who have you got number two, mate? So, number one, number two, we've got an Ohio State Buckeye double. Um, number two is Gary and Conley. He's a junior out of Ohio State. He's six foot, 195 pounds, 44440. Jeez, that's a bit of a tongue twister. Um, but he's also got, got, an ex- he's got an explosive vertical at 37 inches and 129 inch broad jump to go with it. Um, look, he's got really good size and really good length. Um, he's just, he's a great, I'll, I'll say this as a collective because 
you know, when we get to number one, who's on the other side of the ball for Ohio State, they played a lot of press man coverage. And so both of these guys are very, very good at it. So Conley is really, really good at his press man coverage. He's got really good technique uh, and the physical skills to supplement it. He's got really good timing and anticipation. So when balls are coming his way, he's very adept at, at adjusting his body to get his hand up or make plays on the ball. He's really agile and his length means that it, he, he almost... I think of him as like a curtain. He, he sort of drapes himself all over the receiver, which makes it really difficult for the quarterback to find the throwing lane to actually get the ball to his target, um, which I think is kind of an undervalued trait. In terms of question marks, he needs to work a little bit on his run support and by association, he also needs to work on his tackling. He's a little bit inconsistent in that. Uh, regard he's much more suited to press man which obviously considering that's what Ohio State ran a lot of that's not surprising Um, and he sometimes struggles a little bit against some more advanced route trees and complex patterns that might be run and when you make the next step to the NFL you're going to see a lot more of them so he's going to have to work on that a little bit Um, so in combination with that and the fact that he on occasion loses his loses track of his man a little bit. I have a few question marks over his sort of mental fortitude and and his football IQ, I guess. No, yeah, for sure. You've hit the nail on the head there. I think at the end of the day, though, um, the issues that are surrounding Conley, they're all fixable. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you've got a good good, um, DB coach, I certainly think that you're going to be okay picking him. Yeah, I mean, you're much more likely to fix his, his issues than, say, Marlon Humphrey's inability to locate the ball. That's a lot harder to teach. Precisely. Yeah, completely yeah. agree. So uh, let's let's go on to the last one. So Number it's one, pretty much the consensus stud. The consensus stud corner in a draft full of stud corners. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore. So he played on the other side of Gary and Conley at Ohio State. He's six foot. He's 193 pounds. He ran a 4.3640 with a huge vert at 38 and a half inches and 132 inch broad jump. So he's topped every category out of this top five. He's just an explosive dude, man. He's got great hips and feet. And he's, he's a really agile guy as well. As I said, they played a lot of press man. So he's great in man coverage. He's, he's that real lockdown type guy. Um, he's got good ball skills. And the thing that really sells it to me, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more when we get to the, the interior linebackers, it's the mentality. He's that confident, tough, competitive dude that wants to win every snap that he's on the field. Um, and that's something that you, that, that intangible kind of mental state is something that you just can't teach people. Um, he can play in zone as well as in press, man. He's just a complete package. It's really hard to kind of find things that I'm, you know, unsure about. The biggest one I've got is that he's only had you know, one year of starting experience at Ohio State. That's the biggest knock I've got on the guy. Um, And he had a few hamstring issues early on in his college career that sidelined him uh, for a little while there, but he had surgery and they seem to be okay now, but you never know with those sorts of things. Yeah, you need to see the medical report, but I mean, like you said, you're nitpicking. Apart from the the injury issues, I, I don't really see too many issues. They've got... Like you said, the guy's got so much swag. He has got uh, so much swag, and that it's it's what you need in the prototypical modern day NFL corner because 
they're on an island more or less and the the wide receivers that they're just as big a diva as the corner these yep. days so you you really do uh, i think it kind of takes me back to when like michael crabtree and richard sherman were going at it a few years ago back when the, the 49ers and the seahawks were having all those like playoff games against each other and yep. you always knew it was going to be like a dog fight yeah and like Sherman took it to Crab, and it, it, I guess it almost symbolised the idea of like, okay, this is what a corner needs. You really do need to have that mental toughness, and Lattimore's got it in spades. Hundred percent. As I said, there's a reason he's the consensus selection as the number one stud corner in a draft full of stud corners. So, I'd be surprised if he makes it past. I could see him going top five, depending on what happens in terms of whether a quarterback goes or, or whatever. Definitely top ten. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree there. All right, let's move on, Dunk. Let's go to the the second level of the defense. So we're gonna we're gonna discuss the linebackers now. So we're gonna talk about the inside linebackers specifically. So. When we refer to the inside linebackers, we're talking about your coverage guys. So these are your two, your two inside guys in a 34D. It's also your middle linebacker in a 4-3, and it's also your weak side linebacker in a 4-3, because usually that weak side linebacker, they're not rushing the quarterback. They're usually staying in coverage. They're dropping back. They're taking either the tight end, or they're also um, taking the running back. So based on that, who have you got as number five? Well, before we get to number five, I want to throw out a couple of other names that haven't made the list, which you guys should should keep an eye out for because they're still good players. So we've got Raekwon McMillan out of Ohio State and Kendall Beckwith out of LSU uh, are two other names you can keep a lookout for uh, when the draft comes around. But at number five, I've got Anthony Walker Jr. He's a redshirt junior out of Northwestern. Um, he's six foot one, two hundred and thirty-eight pounds. Ran a four-six-five forty with with a thirty and a half inch vert and a hundred and sixteen inch broad jump. Um, the the point I'm going to make with a lot of the guys in this list is is their character and the way they operate both on the field and in the locker room. Um, for me, I put a heavy emphasis on character when I'm looking at interior linebackers um, because. They're, the, they're essentially the quarterback of the defense. They're the guy that sets the standard, that sets the tone, that makes the calls at the line of scrimmage. That They're the leader on the field. And so that character is a really important attribute when I'm scouting uh, linebackers. So Anthony Walker, he's got great work ethic. He's a great teammate and a great leader. And by all reports, he's actually quite a smart guy as well. Um, so big tick there right off the bat. He's got a really good size and thickness ratio all throughout his body. It's not just, you know, unique to his top half or his bottom half. It's it's all the way up and down. Um, he's got a really good first step and burst of speed. He's got great instincts and vision, which also go with great awareness. And when you combine all of that, he becomes a really, really good coverage guy. So in that respect, it, it shouldn't be too surprising that he's great in coverage. Um in terms of question marks, there are a few knocks. Um, a few scouts I was reading have reported that they almost think he's too big in terms of muscle. 
um, which, which has led to a little bit of stiffness in his movement and it, he plays a little bit tight. Um, so he doesn't really have that fluidity, which can cause, cause issues, particularly in coverage. Um, he's left a lot of tackles on the field as well. Um, and although he's got a really good burst of speed and first step, it doesn't quite translate to his lateral movement. It's very much up and down um, that, that he's strong in that respect. Uh, and he has a little bit of difficulty shaking blocks because he is he doesn't maintain his distance. He allows the blocker to engage too easily and get really close to his body, so he can't use the distance to his advantage. Oh, you've hit the nail on the head there, really. I don't really have much to add. Yeah, I'm you've, getting you've pretty good at this, it. mate. I, yeah, yeah. Let's go to number four. Number four, Zach Cunningham is a redshirt junior out of Vanderbilt. Now, before the combine, there was talk about him being. I'm not going to go so far as to say the number one linebacker, but he's certainly number two. Uh, didn't perform particularly well at the combine, and he's sort of fallen down since then. So he's six foot three, two hundred and thirty-four pounds, and at the combine he ran a four-six-seven forty, thirty-five inch vert, one hundred and twenty-five inch broad jump, uh, and only fifteen reps on the bench press. It's a little bit disappointing. Um, so yeah, his his stock certainly fell after the combine. Um, but this is a guy, he's an ultimate playmaker. He didn't have a lot of support over at Vanderbilt on, on that defensive side of the ball. So he took it upon himself to make plays and set the standard. Um, and that's exactly what he did. He just had a knack of getting to the ball, making tackles, forcing turnovers, recovering turnovers. Um, the sort of things that you want from your, your inside linebacker. Um, very consistent guy, very durable, very reliable. Um, he, he's got the coverage skills to go with running backs or with tight ends, um, but he's at his best when he's allowed to just see the play, read it, process it, and quickly make the play. And basically when he's just got license to fly around the field and make plays wherever the ball is, that's when he's at his best. Um, and that's a combination of, of, of his skills all com- culminating in, in that trait. Um, so if you've got a good defensive coordinator who can take advantage of all of those things, then he's going to be a good pick for you. Uh, in terms of question marks, there's a few question marks in terms of his uh, strength in getting past blockers. And he also has a tendency to go too high when he makes tackles, um, which obviously leads to a fair few missed tackles. Um, and he also struggles a little bit to square his shoulders. The other concern that I've got is that his his size and weight it's a little bit you know it's concerning so you've got um you've got anthony walker at six foot one 238 pounds so two inches shorter and 238 pounds zach cunningham six foot three 234 pounds so he's two inches taller and four pounds lighter that's a little bit of a question mark for me particularly considering his 40 time is a lot slower um so i'm a little bit yeah a bit unsure there yeah, for me, the big knock on Cunningham is he misses too many tackles. I remember reading his scout report um, you know, on Pro Football Focus, and he had missed something like, uh, I want to say 21 tackles over the last two years. Don't quote me, it's, it's just off the top of my head. But I remember them saying how he was one of the worst-rated tacklers in, the, in all of college football last year. And for me, when you're a linebacker, that's pretty much your primary job. You're going to be tackling the guy like 100 plus times a season. Yep. If if your biggest knock is that you're missing tackles, um, 
I, I'm not sold on you. And that's why for me, I'm not sold on Cunningham. I have too many question marks on him to say, look, I like the pick. Um, that being said, do you think he would fit in better as a as a will linebacker in the four three as opposed to the Mike? Um, hmm, good question. I think probably yes. I think his skill set kind of lends itself to that. Um, you know, covering those running backs and those tight ends, so he'd be more suited to playing the will. Um. Yeah, I think I'm going to say yes. He would be more suited to playing Will, but I could see him playing at Mike as well. All right, let's move on to number three. Who have you got there? So number three is an interesting one. It's Hassan Reddick out of Temple. Uh, And I say it's an interesting one because up until the Senior Bowl, he'd pretty well played um, everywhere but inside linebacker. Um, Primarily, he's he's an outside linebacker or a defensive end in college. Um, but in the senior bowl, he played inside linebacker and flashed brilliance. So since then, the analysts have kind of been projecting him as an inside guy. And so that's where I've projected him as well. Um, but he's a very raw, raw sort of talent on that basis because we haven't seen enough of it to be able to make a full judgment call. So Hassan Reddick out of Temple, 6'1", 237 pounds, ran a 4'5", 240, so very fast dude. 36 and a half inch vert, 133 inch broad jump. Um, he's got the ideal size. He's got the ideal explosiveness to play there. Um, he's got great instincts and versatility. He's played, you know, he started his career as a DB and he's also played as an outside linebacker and he's also played as a defensive end. So he's played on three levels um, and he's got, you know, that combination of different skill sets that you kind of get from playing each role. Um, I love his ability against the run. I love his burst. His effort is there on every snap, giving his all. Uh, he's got great, great range. Uh, he's a great blitzer as well, which I think is a product of playing at end and also as an outside backer. Um, and again, you're talking before about the the corners with the sub packages, and I mentioned the versatility. Hassan Reddick has that versatility. While I don't think he's going to project particularly well as a defensive end, I don't think he's got the size. He's got the versatility and the experience that if you had to put him there for a snap or two, he could do it. He can play anywhere inside linebacker, outside linebacker. I think he could play weak or or strong side. Um, And he's also got the coverage steals from playing as a DB. Um, in terms of Knox, again, you talk about missed tackles. He's also had tackle problems. He's missed 16 in the last two seasons, which is not ideal. Um, the other issue, as I mentioned, we haven't seen enough of him at inside linebacker, but we haven't seen enough of him on the field, really. He only played he played in less than 70% of his team's defensive snaps. So that's a little bit of a question mark, a little bit of a red flag. But purely on, on potential, he, he's slotting in as my number three guy. Yeah, for me, Redick is just, he's a complete football player. I remember um, Joe Rigo, who we had, we had on our podcast special last week as a guest, he told me about Redick or, or a couple months ago now, and he's like, you, you need to check out Redick. So I knew nothing about Redick checked him out, watched a bit of um, a few of Temple's game tapes and was like, wow, this kid can play. So I'm certainly on the Hassan Reddick bandwagon. I think he he's a guy that you can plug in 
pretty much anywhere across that second level. And he's going to do, do a pretty solid job for you. That being said, there are a few question marks. I won't be surprised, actually, if he goes top 10. I think he could be the first linebacker taken off the board. That won't surprise me. As a Colts fan, I hope you're right, because that means that my number one guy is probably going to fall down a bit. All right, let's move on to number two. So we've got a, a Florida Gator here, Jared Davis. Yeah, mate, look, I love Jared Davis. I think he's a great prospect. As you say, Florida Gator is a senior. He's six foot one, two 238 pounds. But again, the biggest thing I love about him is his character. It is immense. He has huge work ethic, huge leadership, great teammate. He's got everything you want from your inside linebacker in that size. And you go with that, you throw in an ideal size, toughness. He's got great range and great instincts, particularly against the run. Against the run is really where he excels. He's fantastic at being able to stack and shed blockers, locate the ball well. He's a great tackler, great technique. He's just elite against the run. A little bit lacking against pass, uh, sorry, in coverage, but he does have the size and speed to be able to go with running backs or tight ends. So that's a little bit of a tick there. Um, it's one of those things that he is so, so good against the run that you can kind of accept his deficiencies in coverage. Look, he's not terrible in coverage. He's just not not great at it. But with some, with some teaching and the, and the right guys, you know, guiding him along the post process, I can see him developing those pass coverage skills. He struggles a lot more in coverage when he's got to drop into zone than when he's playing man. Um, and the one, one other criticism that I have of him that, you know, in some respects is a good thing, but it was kind of the same knock that I had on Leonard Fournette. And that is that he almost has a tendency at times to seek out the physicality and the challenge of a block rather than shedding the block and getting to the runner and focusing on the runner. He'd rather, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to engage this block here. Um, as opposed to getting past it and getting to the ball, which is a little bit of a red flag, but it's it's at the same time, you know, you want your linebackers to be physical and to seek out that contact because they're going to have a lot of it to do. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you need to be physical. And I'd rather have someone who is too physical, and that's the knock on them, rather than having a guy who's a delicate flower. So... I, I really like Jared. I think he's going to be a really, really solid 4-3 um, Mike linebacker in the NFL. To me, he's, I, I can see him getting drafted by the Raiders at 24. Right now, he's my pick. I know that they've done some fair bit of scouting there with Zach Rocket down in the southeast. So um, I can certainly see the Raiders taking him at 24. I think he's going to be a low first-round pick. And whoever's going to get him is going to be pretty lucky. Yeah. Uh, I think he's a complete player. Yep, I think so too. Um, I think it'd be a steal if he slips into the second round. Uh, I, I, I can't see that happening. I think someone's going to take him in the first. Um, but look, that being said, you never know. Like we're, seeing, we're hearing so much stuff about how there are quite a few quarterbacks that um, could, could um, rise into the first round. So that's going to inevitably push a few guys down. So maybe Jared Davis does fall. But yep. look, we'll, fi- we'll find out in a couple of weeks. Let's go to number one. Number he's one. from Alabama. Mm-hmm. He, he's, your, he's your Crimson Tide Alpha Dog. So he's got a bit of mongrel in him does on and off a... the field, I guess. Yeah. Ruben, Ruben Foster. Ruben Foster. Now, I just want to make the point before we start. 
Ruben Foster is in he's he's definitely in my top five. I'm gonna say he is number number three. He's my third best prospect in the entire draft. Um, Behind who? Number one is Miles Garrett. Number two is Jamal Adams, who we've already talked about. Um, okay, fair call. And again, it's it's it starts with that character. Now he's got a few more off-field concerns, but on the field, the dude he he reminds me of Ray Lewis. He's he's that alpha dog. He sets the tone. He's a ferocious hitter. When he hits you, you feel it. He's got that swagger, that toughness. I heard um, Daniel Jeremiah described him as a guy that has bad intentions, and I think that is a perfect summary of Reuben Foster. He really is a bad, bad dude when he's on the football field. Um, but you match that intention and that, and that mental state with elite lateral speed, great agility and coverage skills. He can match up on the tight end or a running back. He's great control of his hips, and he hits the line of scrimmage really hard. This is a dude that you don't want to mess with. Um, I think he's the out-and-out number one middle linebacker prospect in the class. And I've heard um, some analysts are saying he's the most complete inside linebacker prospect since Luke Keekley. I'm not going to go quite so far as to say he's the same level as Luke Keekley when he came out of college, um, but he's certainly very, very good. Uh, in terms of question marks, the biggest ones for me... Um, the character concerns off the field. We heard what happened at the combine where he wasn't allowed to participate because of uh, the mix-up at the hospital, shall we say. Um, and he's he's had a few injury issues through his shoulder. He's had a few stinger problems. Um, but the general consensus is that was the result of poor tackling technique, which has since been you know coached out of him in the last year or two. Um and again, the only other knock we talked about with Jared Davis, it's that over-physicality in the sense that they, they hit blocks too much rather than shedding them and getting to the ball carrier. But, mate, he, this dude is scary good. I think any team that gets him is going to be happy. I am praying that he slips to the Colts at 15, but I'm not sure he's going to get there. Yeah, look, if I'm the 49ers, I'm actually taking him at two and he's going to be the new Ray... Uh, not the new Ray Lewis, the next... Uh, the new Mike Patrick Singletary? Lewis. Patrick Willis, yeah, that's a good one. Patrick Willis, put him put him next to Navarro Bowman. Oh, and, um, scary. You can go back... You can you can rewind the clock to 2011 when, yep. the, when the 49ers were actually good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. All right, Dunk, let's go to the forefront of the defensive side of the ball. So we've got your interior linemen. So we've, we've already discussed the edge rushes in a past episode. It's time that we discuss, you, you've got your, your 34 defensive ends. You've also got your nose, your nose tackles. And then you've got your 43 defensive tackles. So they're um, also known as your, your, your three technique guys. So at number five, you've got Montravius Adams. He's out of Auburn. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to say before we get into these that there is a big gap for me between one and two. To So it'll be it's like number one and number two are in a tier of their own. Then number three is in a tier of his own. And then there is a huge drop to four and five. So we're kind of going to gloss over the bottom two because there's, there's not as much to talk about. And you're probably not going to see them on day... Well, definitely not on day one. And, and, you know, 
mid to late day two. Um, so Montrevis Adams out of Auburn, he's six foot four, three hundred and four pounds. Um, look, he's got great hustle. He's got great thickness through his hips and his thighs, and he's really disruptive when he gets through the gaps and is able to shoot past double teams. Um, he's got good explosiveness, and he's got powerful legs to drive through blockers and a really quick first net, uh, first step. Sorry, the I have a big knock on him though, and I really it kind of pains me to have him at number five because I I really it's like a pet peeve of mine. He's never really delivered on what his potential is shown to be all throughout his career. Um, you know, people have had high expectations for him. He's never fully delivered. And it's, it's one of those things that it really pains me to see guys with talent, really not making the most of it. Um, on that basis, he, he lacks consistency in his game as well. Um, He's, he's not great with his hands, which is a problem because he struggles to stay clean. He gets engaged by blockers. He can't keep his distance because he's not as good with his hands. Um, and when he gets engaged, he struggles to get off of them because uh, he's, he's limited in his lateral movement ability. And that's also a problem when he's got to quickly adjust against the run as well. Well, you've summed it up really well there. I think he's more of a, a guy that you just plug in on rundowns and you say, okay, stick your backside in there and just plug your feet into the ground and make sure the running back doesn't get through you. Yep, I think so too. Okay, let's go to number four. No mucking round. Who number have you got? Four, Chris Wormley. He's a redshirt senior out of Michigan. Um, look, he's a well-boot dude. He's 6'5", 298 pounds. He's solid all the way down from top to bottom. Uh, but he's actually still got some good agility and good fluidity in his movement, which you don't often see at guys his size. Um, he's got the versatility and the experience in playing all along the line in all the different roles. He's got good balance. He's very disciplined. And again, getting in that character frame of mind, he's a great leader and he's got a really, really good football IQ, um, which leads to good awareness and pursuit speed as well. Um, and again, high, high football IQ He's very much a student of the game, which means that, you know, it, it explains why he's got great technique and what he does. And he's got some some good moves in terms of pass rushing. He's got a good bull rush spin move as well. Um, in terms of question marks, you know, there's a few question marks and his explosion coming off the edge, particularly in his first few steps. He kind of relied on his out-and-out power a little bit too much in college, which obviously when you're up against the NFL linemen, they're better equipped to deal with that. So you need to kind of work on your craft a little bit more. Um I'm not 100% certain whether he's got the, the anchor to transition inside uh, as a full-time guy. Um, we'll have to wait and see in that regard. As you say, with, with Montrevious, you know, he's the sort of guy that you, you say, just stick your backside in there and don't let the running back get past you. There's a few question marks as whether Wormley can do that. Um, so I think he's going to translate more uh, as, as an outside lineman rather than an inside lineman. Um, and he struggles to get off blockers at times. Again, just like Montrevious Adams, he's got slow hands, and that makes it really difficult to disengage from those blocks or to prevent them from getting to him in the first place. Yeah, my biggest knock is he relies too much on power, and in the NFL, power is not going to be able to win um, win you the battle because the offensive linemen are just so powerful themselves. Yeah. Um, Let's go. Let's go to number three. Who have you got there? Caleb Brantley out of Florida. He's a redshirt junior. 
Six foot three, three hundred and seven pounds. We're not going to talk about his forty time too much. It's five one four forty, um, but from a guy that size, that's probably not too bad. Um, look, he's he's kind of compact in the way that he plays, um, but he's got that real hunger and passion, and and every snap he gives you everything. Um, he's got a really really quick initial get off, but that's interesting to me because he's also we're quickly jumping over to to the question marks and the the negatives. He's also a snap count guesser. He's been caught offside 10 times in the last two years. So for a guy that's got such great initial quickness, it seems interesting to me that he still decides to to guess the snap count when he really doesn't need to. Um, But he's very efficient with his movement. He holds up well against double teams. He hits blockers with plower, and he is somebody that can get off blocks really well, unlike the other two we've discussed so far. in terms of uh, you know negatives, we talked about snap count guessing. Uh, he doesn't really have lateral quickness, which again we talked about how he's got that great burst and that great first snap, but it's very straight line. It's up and down. He's not great side to side, and that lateral agility, that lateral quickness translates to difficulties as a pass rusher. Um, question marks over his stamina whether he can play as a three down guy I don't think so I don't think he's got the engine to be able to do that and the other knock is that he sometimes has a tendency to struggle to finish off the play he'll get into the backfield but that lateral quickness lets him down uh, and he can't react to the quarterback moving can't finish the play yeah I like Brantley a lot I think he's going to be a good second round pick for someone um, he's got some good pass rushing skills and he's he's got a pretty good motor. So at the end of the day, when, you, when you're looking at interior pass rushers, you want them to be able to go all day and Brantley's certainly going to be able to do that from an effort standpoint. So um, I, I don't really think you can you can say much more about the guy. No. Let, let's go to the your top two. So you talked about them more or less being like quite in a, in a high tier of their own. So... Number two is Malik McDowell, and I know he's he's got potential coming out of his ears. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I I don't really know how to evaluate him properly because if you go purely on potential, he's definitely number one on this list and probably top five in the whole draft purely on potential. But on the likelihood of reaching it, I'm not I'm not convinced. So. He's six foot six. He's two hundred and ninety five pounds, and he runs a four eight five forty. Um, he's just got great length. He's got an insane combination of size, speed, and athleticism. It really is ridiculous. He just had a had a tendency in college. He just overwhelmed blockers with the pure explosiveness and power that he's got. But he coupled it with really strong hands, but also a great swim move, bull rush, lots of pass rushing weapons. Um, he is one guy that does have really good lateral movement and quickness, and he's also had the experience to play anywhere along the line at Michigan State. Um, so he's got the versatility to do that. But the reason that he's not an out-and-out stud is that he's lazy. He is really lazy. He's got really poor work ethic, and it just looked on film like he takes snaps off sometimes for no real reason other than he just couldn't be bothered. And that, to me, is a huge red flag. And it's again, it's a real pet peeve of mine when you've got a guy with this much talent that just doesn't have the work ethic. Um, 
He's also got a few question marks over his leadership, which, you know, when you combine it with the, the poor work ethic and so on, that's that shouldn't be overly surprising. Um, he plays with his pad level too high at times, and he also has a high center of gravity, um, which can cause issues for him. And the other big one is that he doesn't take full advantage of his length sometimes, and he struggles to really maximize the, the advantage that gives him uh, in how he uses his hands. So there are a few question marks, but if he reaches his potential, he'll be the best player in this draft. Yeah, the the P word is, is the big one with him. Now, at the same time, I'm going to bring in the M word of maturity. And I look at maturity and potential, and I look at defensive linemen, such as McDowell, and he's I think he's only like 21 years old. He's very young. He's probably immature in that that sense given his bad work ethic but the potential is off the charts and someone that he reminds me of not necessarily in terms of how he plays but in terms of that potential the immaturity the young age all that that's like he could he could be anything in this in the NFL if he wants to be is Amobi Okoye and Amobi Okoye do you remember that name Dan? It does ring a bell but you're gonna have to remind me all right, so he was a he was a first round pick, a, a high pick for the Houston Texans. Uh, I don't remember the year, but it would probably be close to maybe eight or nine years ago now. Mm-hmm. And at the time, he was I think he was barely like twenty years old. He was young. He had the size. He had the potential. He could have been anything in this league, and he turned out to be a big fat bust because the the potential never never eventuated to anything and he just he never developed and you just wonder with someone like McDowell if that could that could happen again so I have my reservations based on that if you as a coach can think that you can train it out of him well I don't see why you don't make the pick because the potential is there he could really be a special player in this draft 100% agree now if he's number two Number one's pretty special. He is. Number one, Jonathan Allen out of Alabama. One of the famed front seven that Alabama had this year. It was truly ridiculous. So he's six foot three, 286 pounds. Big, big dude. Um, but he had the versatility to play anywhere in the defensive front. But the bit that really gets me, he is an elite run defender. Absolutely elite. He, he essentially, it's almost like he... It looks like he's almost toying with blockers. He stacks them up however he wants, and he just gets rid of them, just throws them aside like a rag doll, doesn't really care. Um, he's a great tackler, and he's really, really good at locating the ball. So when you've got a combination of guy who's elite at shaking blocks, elite at tackling, and elite at locating the ball, you can understand why he is a very, very good run defender. On top of that, he's got a, lot, a, a big motor, gives you heaps of effort on every snap. He uses his hands very well in terms of pass rushing. It's a very violent movement that he's got. It generates a lot of power, a lot of force. Um, And again, it comes back to that character. He's a great leader. He's a three-down guy with a huge work ethic. And he's very, very good technically. The the Alabama coaching staff have gone to town on him in terms of technique. And he is just fundamentally sound across the board. Really can't pick holes in anything he does technique-wise. I have 
my reservations in terms of his pass rush effectiveness at the next level. Um, but it's something you can certainly work on and it's not a huge red flag to the point I'm going like bust alert or anything like that. Um, and I have a few question marks over where his best positioning is on the line. He doesn't quite have the length to play as a defensive end, but I, I'm a little bit concerned about his ability to deal with the big mass and big bodies inside at the next level. So he made to add a bit more mass to his frame um, and again, on that point of, of not having enough mass, he struggles at dealing with double teams because he doesn't have the size to be able to, to properly handle them. Um, but having said that, he's he's been, since the start of this draft process, he's been a consensus top 10 pick for just about everybody. And I think he'll, he'll go in the top 10 for sure. He could go top five. He could go top five. Yeah, there was a, there's a while me. there where he's being mocked as number two behind Miles Garrett. Yeah, the guy's a beast. There's no doubt about it. Um, I, I don't really, I can't really add anything. You've you've summed it up really well. All right, Dunk. I know you've been holding this on your chest for quite some time. It's time for that slam dunk. Yeah, Nads, look, we touched on this topic a little bit earlier in the show, but we kind of skimmed over it. So we're going to bring it back again. We're going to talk about it now. You guys may recall a few episodes ago, we had a slam dunk about the the No Fun League, the NFL um, penalizing celebrations and how I, I thought that, you know, we're going away from what I think the NFL should be about. And... The slam dunk on today's episode is going along a similar line. So for those of you that haven't heard, uh, there are about 30 current and former NFL players that were currently in Vegas, and um, they, they, they decided as a bit of fun, let's, let's have an arm wrestling competition. Now, um, it, it was designed for TV, so, you know, it was a little bit of a... An event, a spectacle, if you will. So they were at a nightclub in Las Vegas, um, and they had an arm wrestling competition. And the NFL have decided to fine all of the current players that have taken part in this arm wrestling competition. So to name some of the guys there, you had James Harrison, Kenny Stills, Marquette King, Navarro Bowman, and Patty Chung, just as a few. And uh, Marshawn Lynch was there as well, but he's not a current player, so he couldn't be fined, which I found quite amusing. But the bit that really grinds my gears, Nads, the bit that really annoys me is that you just can't do anything fun anymore. Like, what does this arm wrestling competition, what, what harm does it do? What harm does it do to the NFL? What harm does it do to their reputation? No parent is going to get up in arms about the fact that there's been an arm wrestling competition that's setting a bad example for their little boy, Johnny. It just seems ridiculous to me that they've fined all of the players that are involved in this. And it just goes to show that it's, it's another example of the NFL trying to cut down on players having fun and, and just the game being entertaining. And, you know, we talk about how Roger Goodell has been this, this figurehead for the NFL who's taken the league to new heights in terms of profitability and that sort of thing. 
I'm no expert in ads and I'm not a, a business guy, but uh, I would have thought if people find what you're doing interesting and find it entertaining, you're probably going to get a few more fans. You're going to get a few more people that are going to watch and going to go to games if there's going to be excitement and celebrations and people are going to have fun and laugh. If you just like take all of that away and purely pay f play football and there's no entertainment to it and there's no fan interaction and enjoyment... You're not going to get the same level of traction. You're just going to get the football tragics that are going to watch football. And don't get me wrong, I'd still watch. But you want to see that excitement, that celebration, that enjoyment, that fun. You want the league to be fun because that's how you get kids involved. That's how you build it up from grassroots level all the way to the top. I think this is just another example of the NFL being ridiculous and taking one step too far. I just, it frustrates me to see no harm was done. What was the big deal? I just, I can't, I can't deal. I can't, Nads. I'm just, I'm just over it. Yeah, look, I mean, it's hypocritical. The NFL is content to take $750 million from Las Vegas to get a stadium that's more or less uh, the better part of 500 metres away from, from the heart of the strip. Yet they don't want any of their players associated with with, with um, casinos. Yet every time that Vegas stadium comes on TV, you're going to see the stadium. And then in the background, you're going to see the casinos. You're going to see the strip. The NFL is not going to be able to stay away from um, trying to keep its squeaky clean image. Even though it's, uh, I'd argue that it's um, squeakily corrupt um <laughs> well, it, it's it's just ridiculous i'm gonna i'm gonna call it now nads there is gonna be a time let's say the raiders move to las vegas and that's all going ahead and, and they're like they're playing games there next year let's say they're playing games there next year in this fancy new stadium that i know won't be built in time but let's just say for argument's sake it is i can totally see roger goodell going and having a press press conference where he finds every player on the Denver Broncos because their team bus drove up the strip to get to the stadium. And because they were all seen in the vicinity on that bus near all these casinos, they're going to get fined. Yeah, look, that, that wouldn't surprise me. I, nothing surprises me in the NFL anymore. Actually, I, I just want to talk one more topic regarding like Vegas and gambling and all the money. We know Goodell is such a penny pincher. He wants to make money. He, you know, uh, I read one one person say on Twitter, you know, if they could, if they would make more money having stadiums that were empty rather than stadiums that were full, he would actually do it. Yeah, he would. You know, he's so so concerned about just the bottom line of the NFL, and I mean, as a commissioner, that's your job. You're supposed to make money for the league because the fact of the matter is, you're working for the 32 owners. Um, it's not like it's not like the Australian Football League where Gil McLaughlin, the the CEO, he's the head guy, and then everything sort of runs through him. Um, it's very different in America. You've got um, Goodell, who's a figurehead, and he is more or less just um, a puppet for whatever way the NFL wants to go. And right now, the NFL is going the way of Jerry's world. So Jerry is the is the the string puller. He's running the marionette. That's Roger Goodell. I don't understand how a league that generates so much money and a commissioner who is concerned solely about generating money in the league, why they haven't gone to being affiliated with legalized gambling. 
I mean, you look at more or less every major sport across the world and there is legalized gambling involved and breaking news, it doesn't, it doesn't corrupt the integrity of the game. It seems like America, especially, they're just in this little bubble and they believe that, oh, wow, if we introduce um, uh, legalized gambling, that's just going to mean that people are going to get bribed left, right and center. Um, the integrity of the game is going to be gone. Well, no, hang on. Let's let's not look at that because, quite frankly, that's such a ridiculous way of thinking because there's so much illegal gambling going on that if you wanted to bribe players, you can do that already right now. So not that it happens because I have no doubt that it, um, they, they've tried, they don't succeed. Uh, we see it around the world. We see match fixing in cricket. We've seen a few recently um, regarding tennis. Um, but th- they all get found out. And it's stuff that you see once in a blue moon. And last time I checked, both cricket and tennis still have their... Um, the integrity of the game is still well and truly intact. And I, I don't see how they can harp on about the NFL being being that squeaky clean image. Now... Let me get to my point regarding the, the money, money of all of it. Look how much money, look how many billions is spent gambling on the NFL each year. Now, could you imagine if the NFL actually decided, you know what, let's, let's, go, let's go into the legalized gambling and let's start to affiliate ourselves. And let, let's say, let's do a, um, you know how you see in Australia how they have the, the betting markets come up live on screen just before the games. You know, they show the live betting market. They have Nathan Brown, the, the commentator for the for the tab, and, and he he says, look, okay, um, these, these are the odds for the game, and then uh, you've got a few special markets associated with it. You know, if they took that initiative, they could make so much money, it's, it's just crazy. And I, I'm still struggling to see why the NFL hasn't been, like, haven't shown the initiative to do that. Look, and when you really think about it, it's not just the NFLs who's backward in this sort of thing. It's a bit more like you look at the um, American sports in general. And I, I love American sports. I think that they have some great initiatives that um, regarding the way that they handle handle certain systems within the game. And I have major respect for all, all of the major codes in America. But you look at um, their, the way that they like to generate money and... Um, especially let's let's look at Europe with the f- uh, soccer, so football. You look at the amount of money that is made by clubs, Manchester United, Barcelona, Real Madrid, when they have front of, cert, front of shirt sponsors, back of shirt sponsors. You look at NFL jerseys, apart from that Nike tick because it's a Nike jersey, there's no sponsors. Mm. They're not making any money off it. Very true. Uh, I, th- I think Manchester United, they're making close to, um, I want to say like something like $80 million per year. It might, it might even be more. Uh, that's just off their front of shirt sponsor, which is uh, Chevrolet. Ironically, they're an American company. Who would have thought? <laughs> You know, you you know, Trump talks about American dollars staying within America. Well, there's um, eighty million dollars a year going elsewhere. So, the NBA is caught on. So they're they're starting from I think next season. They're having little little uh, sponsors in the on their jerseys. So I know that Philadelphia um, have started that. I think the first first one was StubHub. But I just don't understand why 
um, for a, a league or for a country that prides itself on being at the forefront of everything, that they're so backward on something that is more or less a 21st century um, just way of life around the world. Mate, I don't really have anything to add to that. That was very much a slam Hayden this week. Had a lot to get off your chest there, bud. I did, you know. I, I get a little bit fired up. And no, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. This, just, this, this whole topic, I think, just pisses me off in general. Anyways, it's time to wrap up our show. Uh, we've had a great episode nine. Thank you all for listening. Look, next week we're going to cover the offensive side of the ball. So we're going to have a massive, um, another draft preview there. We're going to be talking about the, the offensive linemen. We're also going to be talking about the tight ends. So we're going to be talking a lot about OJ Howard. So oh, yeah. for, for all you Alabama fans out there and all you football fans in general, OJ Howard's the best tight end that's coming out the draft. And he, he's going to be a, be a stud. So we're going to talk about tight ends a lot more we're also going to talk about the wide receivers and there's quite a few um interesting receivers i think it's it's not so much um a cut and dry class i think we're going to have some interesting hot takes there for sure definitely in the meantime guys follow us on social media so we're on twitter at any given m-o-n-p-o-d we're also on facebook so you can like us there at any given monday p-o-d that's right, guys. You can also check Nads and I out individually on social media. You can catch Nads on Twitter at HBNadolny, N-A-D-O-L-N-Y. You can catch me at DSong, S-O-A-N-G. And I'd also say, guys, give us a like, give us a rating on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and uh, make sure you download us off of the Last Word of Sports Radio Podbean account. So the draft's in two weeks. Get ready, guys. I'm really excited, and I know Duncan's excited too. So catch us next week. In the meantime, keep fighting for those inches. Take care. Bye. Bye.